Good morning. Today I consider it a very special day, not only because it's the Lord's Day, most important, but also the positioning of the day with reference to the new year. We have the Lord's Day today, the last day of the year tomorrow, and of course the first day of the new year the next day. And the reason why I like that is because we can come together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you know the Lord as your personal Savior, and we could get our minds on the Lord as we contemplate the year that's gone by and the year to come. And of course, the turning of the year, we often think of New Year's resolutions. How many people have a New Year's resolution in mind? Raise your hand. Two, three people maybe. Well, I can understand that because as the years go by, it's oftentimes really easy just to give up on New Year's resolutions. But there's something about the New Year's resolution that reminds me about the first, first days, first day of the week, first day of the month, first day of spring, which is my birthday, by the way, (laughs) Uh, first day of the year. They're new starts. They're markings of new beginnings. And that's important to me because it brings encouragement, oftentimes in lieu of past failures. Um... And so I want us to think about New Year's resolutions in that regard. It's an opportunity to have a new start. Um, But to do that, we have to go through the painful exercise sometimes of looking past things that we'd like to change, perhaps failings. I have them just as much, if not more, than you have them. So we're all in the same boat. But I'd like to be transparent and honest, and I'd hope that you're You want to be honest before the Lord in your own heart. I'm not going to ask you to make any confessions before everybody like I might. (laughs) Um, But I think it's important to take a look back and then take a look forward and see, well, where does the Lord want us to go? What does the Lord want me to do? What goals should I set up in my life? What actions should I take? And in, in the message, shortly after I have this introduction, I want to share the two, I think, the most important words I can ever hear two most important words I can ever hear. So you can start thinking about what are the two most important words you think you can ever hear? Just two words. Okay. New Year's resolution, I looked it up, and you know it's becoming increasingly more popular to look things up here, even though there's no authority whatsoever behind it, but Wiki, Wikipedia, <laughs> New Year's resolution. A New Year's resolution is a commitment that a person makes to one or more personal goals, projects, or reforming of a habit. A key element to the New Year's resolution that sets it apart from other resolutions, that it is made in anticipation of the new year. New beginnings. People commit themselves to a New Year's resolution, generally plan to do so for the whole year. And hopefully it becomes a habit and it becomes part of their life, but oftentimes it doesn't make it past the first week. This lifestyle change is generally interpreted as advantageous. The end of the Great Depression, about a quarter of American adults made New Year's resolution. At the starting of the 21st century, about 40% did. So we just take a quantum leap down this morning because we had about three people raise their hands as far as a New Year's resolution. Either that or they're still going to make them, which is fine. Okay, so what are some popular New Year's resolutions? Some examples include resolutions to donate more to the poor, to become more assertive, or to become more environmentally responsible. Popular goals include resolutions to improve well-being, to lose weight. That's probably a repetitive kind of resolution. Exercise more, eat better, 
Drink less alcohol, that is. Quit smoking. Stop biting nails, picking nose, or talking too fast. Those don't, by the way, go hand in hand. I, I do tend to talk fast. Improve finances. Get out of debt. Save money. Improve career. Get a better job. Improve education. Improve grades. Get a better education. Learn something new, such as a foreign language or music. Study often. Improve self. Become more organized. Reduce stress. Be less grumpy. Manage time. Be more independent. Perhaps watch less television. Play fewer sit-down video games. Take a trip. Volunteer to help others. Practice life skills using civic virtue. Give to charity. Get along better with people. Stay positive. Put others before self. Learning to laugh at self. Making new friends. Trying foreign foods. There's just a menagerie of different resolutions one can make. Some of them are very, uh, how can I say it, inexpensive. They're real easy to do. They don't cost a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work. You know, um, I think I'll make a goal to try new foreign foods. But that's a hard one for me because I love foreign foods. Okay? The nature of New Year's resolutions has changed during the past decade, with many resolutions being more superficial and appearance-oriented than in previous times. At the end of the 19th century, and I'm not going to pick on the girls, but I mean, that's what's in there. Typical teenage girl's New Year's resolution was focused on good works. She resolved to become less self-centered, more helpful, a more diligent worker, to improve her internal character. Body language, health, diet, and desired possessions rarely were mentioned. At the end of the 20th century, the typical teenage girl's resolution focused on good looks. She wants to improve her body, hairstyle, makeup, and clothing. And I don't think it's too much different for guys, slightly different, but... This is a, a postcard at the turn of the century. It was on the cover, it says, New Year's resolution, resolve to renew all your old resolves. <laughs> Add a few that are new. Resolve to keep them as long as you can. What else can a poor man do? But this is what it said, a resolve for every morning of the year. I will this day try to live simple, sincere, a simple and sincere life, repelling promptly any thought of discontent, anxiety, discouragement, impurity, and self-seeking, cultivating cheerfulness, magnanimity, charity, and the habit of holy science, exercising economy and expenditures, carefulness in conversation, diligence in appointed service, fidelity to every trust, and a childlike trust in God. A little bit different than today's resolutions, isn't it? So, New Year's resolution, you know, when you hear about New Year's resolutions, rarely do you hear about spiritual-minded people making resolutions, you know, spiritual resolutions. How many resolutions do you hear that are orientated toward your spiritual life? You're not going to read about them in the newspaper. But they're healthy to make. A resolution, you resolve to do something. It's good to have resolutions, not just on the New Year's Day, but... Every day, the start of a new day, a new day. I can wake up in the morning and, have a, and be and resolved that I'm not going to um, blow a gasket. <laughs> I'm not going to get angry with someone. I'm not going to raise my voice. I'm going to seek to be kind in everything I say and do. That's a good resolution just for one day. 
I uh, have recently made a resolution to get back into the gym. <laughs> um, you know, there are some things that you did in the past quite regularly that become more difficult to do. One of them is exercising as the years go by. And that resolution becomes less resolute. Um, it seems like it's easier to find excuses not to go to the gym, not to exercise. Uh, and, um, but nonetheless, it's good for you, isn't it? Do you think there are spiritual things that are more difficult as time goes by? Um, we have to ask ourselves that question, not as just individuals, but as, as a church. In looking back, we could see the way things were, and we look now how things are, and some things have changed for the good. Some things have changed for the not so good. We need to be honest as we look. I have um, at home a magnifying glass. Um, I wear magnifiers, but sometimes I need more magnification than these things have, so I have a magnifying glass. And the magnifying glasses are handy for seeing what appear to be very small to our human eye, but that's all relative on God's scale, right? But there's a little glass in the middle that's even a greater magnification. So if I want to see closer, I look through that. But I, I was really impressed, and I, I use it uh, every now and then. I was really impressed with, um, with this magnification projector. When I went to a seminar when we learned a little bit about rekeying locks, and Slage has some pretty in- intricate parts in their lock cylinders. And we had a class of 20, and there was the expert up there, and we couldn't, we couldn't gather all around to, to see what you couldn't even see with your eye very clearly. So what he had, he had this projector. Actually, it had a, a camera that focused down, and whatever he did under the camera showed about the size of the banner. It's really, really big. So you could see numbers you couldn't see with your eye real clearly up there, and anything he did, you could see what he's doing. So it was a really great teaching tool. And that reminds me of... Um, of the Lord when we look at our lives. We want to give a cursory glance and say, oh yeah, it looks good to me. And he, he wants to say, let me get the magnifying glass out. <laughs> let me show you something. And then, and then if, if there's something that's even deeper yet, he wants us to look through the little one. And unfortunately, there are times in our lives where he gets out the projector and other people see more than we do. <laughs> But we have to go through that exercise, I think, if we want to make proper goals for this year. Two important words, the two most important words that I can think of in the New Testament, the more I think about it, the more I I see that they seem to be very simple words, um, but you have to consider who said them. The Lord Jesus spoke those two words. And, And it's something that at the beginning, when you first hear those words, you have an idea, a real simplistic idea of what they mean. But the more you get to know the Lord Jesus... And the more that you get to know his purposes, and the more you look deeply into the word of God, the deeper those meaning those two words have. If you haven't guessed the words, um, look to uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. We'll follow, follow, find those two words in there. They're, they're in other places in the New Testament, but I'd like to start there. Matthew 9, 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Two words, follow me. What do those words mean to you? Follow me, follow me. 
The first time I, I looked up, the first time I find the two words follow me in the Bible, and you find them in the book of Genesis, and you'll remember the story when Abraham had a son, Isaac, and he was old in age, and he wanted his son to have a bride. So he sent his number one servant of the house to the country of his relatives to search for a bride for his son. And the servant said, what if she will not follow me? And that's the first time it's mentioned, follow me. Well, it doesn't take too much studying to see there's a picture there, the picture being the father's interest in procuring a bride for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The servant being a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so we have really in a beautiful picture form what's on the heart of God. The heart of, uh, the, what's on the heart of God is a bride for his son. And that's what he's involved in right now in the church age is procuring a bride for his beloved son. And the bride is the church. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, have a personal relationship with him, you make up that bride. You're part of the bride of Christ. And that's what God's doing in the world. It's a wonderful project God's involved in. And so when he says, follow me, the more we look into it, the more we see is involved in those words. Now, if someone were to walk up to you, just out of the blue, and you're at work like he was. He's in the tax office. He was a tax collector. And someone said, follow me. What would you think? What would you say? Now, if it was your boss that said, follow me, certainly you'd follow him. If it was a stranger, you'd wonder, what? I don't know about this. <laughs> you'd be very skeptical, wouldn't you? What if it was your creator that said, follow me? Would there be any questions that you would have? Or need to ask? Would it be totally appropriate for you to follow him without question, without worry, without concern? Sure it would. Because all your needs he would provide for. Whatever he had in mind for you would be for your best. And it would be for his glory. But Matthew, he just got up and followed him. He had the appropriate response. He followed him. I think of what it would have been if he hadn't. What would it be like if the Lord walked in and said, follow me, and a person didn't? It would be to their eternal loss. The Lord extends that invitation, oh, how many times in the world daily? I know here at Calvary, that, that offer is extended, the offer of salvation is extended weekly in one way, shape, or form from the Word of God. God says, the Lord Jesus, follow me, follow me. And blessed are those that do that do. Now, did Matthew know everything when he followed the Lord Jesus Christ? No, he didn't. But he was following a person. And salvation is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the understanding comes later as we look into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the Lord doing in the world today that he wants us to do or, or to be involved in? It says in Matthew 4.19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Or in another, another portion of the New Testament, I will make you become fishers of men. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing in the world today. He's fishing for men. And he's offering us to be his co-laborers in that endeavor. I'd like to think that everything that a Christian can do is involved in fishing for men. Now, you might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Personally, I don't think I do either. But what does that have to do with anything? 
The Lord said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. All I have to do is follow him, right? And I remember when I first accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, in my ignorant simplicity, I said, you mean all I have to do is follow the Lord and do what he says? Oh, that's great. I thought, wow, all the responsibilities off me. All I have to do is do what he says. And it wasn't until years rolled on that I found out increasingly how difficult sometimes that is. Um, he's fishing for men, and he wants us to be fishers of men. What does that mean? That means that the Lord, the Father, wants to procure a bride for his son. That bride is not yet complete. There are lost souls in the world, people you know, people I know. I can go right down to the district council office, the apprenticeship school, and I can reach people you can't because you're not there. I'm there every day. I have apprentices every day. In your place of employment, you have people you work with that don't know the Lord. If you go to school, you have people there that don't know the Lord. People all around us in the shopping center, in our neighborhood, they don't know the Lord. Fishing for men, I mean, do you, you know, it's hard for me to believe because I'm not really an avid fisherman. I don't even like fishing. People ask me, do you like fishing? I say, well, only if you can catch really big fish in a short amount of time. Then it might be fun, but that's not the game. My brother-in-law went with a neighbor that took him fishing. This guy's a professional fisherman, and you don't ever want to accept a, uh, an uh, opportunity to go fishing with him unless you're an avid fisherman because he's out there before the break of day. And he doesn't go in until after the sun sets. He goes to tournaments. He's won professional boats. He's, I mean, that's his job. Me, I don't have the patience for it. But there's all kinds of different ways to fish. And for some reason, men enjoy fishing. Um, and, and there's different kinds of fishing. In Brazil, you fish with nets. You set your nets out, and you have gill nets, and then the fish swim through the nets. They don't get all the way through because they're too big, and they can't back out because their gills get caught in the net. And they just go check the nets every once in a while. So that's one type of fishing. When I was on my honeymoon, I learned that there's such a thing as big game fishing. That's where you go out for these like sailfish and marlins. One thing I didn't know is you hunt the fish. You don't just throw in your lure and wait for some fish to come around. You're, you're, you're piloting the boat with binoculars looking for those fish. And they have sails that stick up above the water. And once you see that fish, then you drop your lines and your bait four or five lines, and then the boat circles around the fish. And the fish doesn't follow that bait, doesn't take the bait. They turn away and look for another one. They know that he's not biting. So they actually hunt for that fish. I didn't know that. Then there's fishing with lures instead of bait, where you toss in a lure, and there's different ways to manipulate a lure. There's different lures. And I'm sure there's fishermen in here that know a lot more about it than I do. But there's a parallel there when we seek to win people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Evangelism doesn't need to be hard, you know. <laughs> I can remember um, the third day, the third, the third meeting I had after I got saved. I got saved. The first meeting after that, which was my second encounter with Rick, we went over the gospel just to make sure I understood it. The third time I said, okay, what are we going to do today? He says, we're going to go out and witness. I'm going, what? <laughs> says, yeah, we're going to go out and witness. I said, okay, how are we going to do that? So we had a survey, and basically we just went out and asked what people believed, but it, it stimulated conversations. And then we got to the gospel. I'm going, wow, that was, that was not only easy, that was fun, because it was non-threatening. It wasn't awkward. And so since then, you know, when I'm with people, I like to just toss out a bait, you know, say something about the Lord and see if they pick up on it. See, because it's the Holy Spirit that really does the work. 
And I can toss out hints right and left. If they don't bite, I don't push it. And that's real easy evangelism, you know. It's, you're not pigeonholing anybody. You're not doing any hard sale, you know, because you want to see the Lord um, behind it. So if you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's what he wants you to be involved in, fishing for men. Now, there's an expression. It's interesting. There's two meanings, and I didn't know there's two meanings. Fish or cut, be, cut bait. Have you ever heard that expression, fish or cut bait? Basically, um, the traditional understanding is, that, listen, if you don't want to fish, then cut the bait. Everybody, there's a job for everyone. As a matter of fact, that job's just important than the guy that throws the line out. Okay? So what it really means in a spiritual sense is that it's not just the guy out there preaching the gospel. That's the fishermen. There's a whole support crew behind them. I mean, this, this building is a building that people can see out from the street, walk into as strangers, and hear the gospel. So actually putting up this building is a form of fishing for men. When we have activities where we invite people, that's part of fishing for men. When you open your home to strangers, hospitality, whether you bring up the Lord that particular time or if you're just showing the kindness of the Lord so that you can witness at another time, that's fishing for men. When you hear somebody else that shared the gospel and a person received a piece of literature and you're rejoicing with them, you're encouraging them, that's part of fishing for men because you're encouraging one that's maybe dropping the line in the water. So we should all be involved in fishing for men because that's what Jesus said. If we follow him, he'll make us fishers of men. And we're not fishers of men, then we're, are we really following the Lord? Well, I just come to, the, to, to, to church to worship the Lord. Well, that's good, but that worship should lead us to serve the one we worship and have on our hearts what's on his heart. And, and, and really, I, I don't know about you, but when I come to worship, I walk away and I'm so, I, I'm filled with the love of the Lord. I want to share it with someone, okay? Um, or I want it to be shared with someone. I'm excited when I hear people um, sharing what the Lord's been doing in their lives and how he's reaching out through them. Philip's a good example. It says in John 1, 43 through 46, the next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, that's the Lord Jesus, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in, the law, Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus the Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So Philip responded, and there's a real good illustration for us. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. His natural response was to go get Nathaniel. Hey, we found him of whom Moses and the law spoke. What? I don't believe. Well, come on and see. Look, come see for yourself. You're just bringing people to the Lord. I'm not getting anybody to follow me. Let me introduce you to the one I'm following. It's the Lord. And so that's a really good ex- uh, illustration. illustration. So fishing, fishing. What people will, what lengths people go through to fish? I mean, professional fisherman, he's up at the break of day. I, you know, I'm amazed at these bass fishermen. You ever see the boats they have? 440 horsepower outboard, you know. I mean, that, you don't even ski behind something that's so powerful. I mean, you can, but for fishing? What, I, I always ask, why do you have such a boat for fishing? I mean, do you really need to go fast? Well, they have, they have these bass tournaments. They've got to get to their place faster than anybody else can. It's 
So that's it. So I mean, the, the beginning of a bass tournament's got to be like a drag race on water. You know, except for like 20 boats racing at once to get to their spot. And the guy, the biggest, fastest boat gets there. But many of the shape of the fish at that point, they're all scared to death. Like, what's going on? But they go through great odds and great expenses to catch a fish, to have a trophy. You know? The Lord considers a lost soul that repents and turns to him as a trophy. <laughs> all the angels in heaven rejoice at a soul that repents and turns to the Lord. And we should consider that. What is it that we value in this life? You know, the Lord taught us to make friends in eternity with our unrighteous mammon. What do we, how do we want to be received in heaven? I mean, the only thing that's going to be remembered is what we did for the Lord. And imagine on those shores receive, uh, receiving a welcome from people that you have been used by the Lord to bring them to himself how eternally grateful they are that you wanted to serve the Lord in that way. So when I think of a New Year's resolution, I think of what are the ingredients that could lead me to be a fisher of men? What are the ingredients that could lead me to follow him? Because, you know, it's not just a one-time deal. It's not just a follow me and, okay, I follow the Lord, now I'm following him. It's, an, it's, a, it's a daily endeavor. It's not uh, a one time. It's not like salvation where I'm saved. Okay, there are now I'm a follower of Christ. I can be saved and, and not follow him in the sense of picking up uh, the plow of service for the Lord. I could have my salvation, be certain I'm going to heaven, and be the laziest guy around and not do anything for the Lord. What a shame that would be to stand before the Lord. What have you done for me? And I'd be like that unrighteous servant. I knew you were a hard taskmaster, reaping where you didn't sow. Do you know what that means? The way I look at that passage, reaping where you do not sow, what he's basically saying is this. You know, I didn't have the gift of evangelism. You're expecting me to go out there and evangelize, and you didn't give me that gift? You're looking to reap where you didn't sow. That's what it's saying. He's, he's really making a lame excuse. And we can too. Well, I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. I'm no good at this. I'm no good at that. Have you ever tried it? How hard is it to have somebody in your home for a meal? It's not hard. It doesn't take great effort. How hard is it to show a kindness to someone and give them a piece of literature in return? That's not hard. He's not expecting us to do something that he hasn't enabled us to, to do. But there are um, some difficulties involved. He didn't promise that it would be easy. We read in Luke 9, 57, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, I had that same thought when I first got saved. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. And it wasn't the places that he wanted me to go that I wouldn't go, because I figured I'd go just about everywhere, but it was doing some of the things, maybe not doing some things that were difficult. Jesus said, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You better know where I'm going. 
because I don't have a comfortable bed to sleep on. I don't sleep on memory foam. I'm out in the wilderness. I'm out where when I wake up, I got the dew of the morning on me. Think of that. He's, his creatures have more comfort than he has. Foxes have holes. It's a place of protection. It's a den. Birds have nests. Have you ever seen a bird build a nest? They're amazing at the structural integrity of a nest. It's amazing. And then they line it with all kinds of soft material. Very comfortable. We are creatures of comfort. And to follow the Lord Jesus Christ means that we got to work against that. Because that's not where he's going. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable following the Lord. We need to, we, we need to know that. He's pretty forthright about it. I think of Abraham, his examples. It says in Hebrews 11, uh, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He left all behind. He didn't know. By faith he lived in an alien land, in the land of promise, as a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. He was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And if you look later on in Hebrews, you'll find that this man of God lived as a pilgrim while he walked on the earth. Even though he had a promise of the land, he lived as a pilgrim. Why? Because he was looking for a city that had foundations. His hope and his heart was in heaven, not here on earth. And so that helps me to know where my heart should be. We're just passing through this world. And so, I mean, I, I look around, and we live in some times that seem pretty uncertain with this so-called fiscal cliff that I don't know what, you know what all the ramifications are, but I know that it's not bigger than my Lord, <laughs> you know. And if I have my heart in heaven, then who cares? Whatever the Lord needs to take, whatever the Lord needs to do to this world to bring it about or to, to accomplish his purposes, should that shake me? Should I worry about that? No. Because to follow Jesus to, is to live as he lived on the earth. He lived as a pilgrim. He owned the place and he didn't build a house. Following Jesus means that he has to come first. He has to come first. And that could be a daily decision. He said to another one, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go, proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Allow the dead to bury the dead. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean I should make goals that anybody can fulfill? You know? There's one thing, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a relationship with him, there's something you can do that no unsaved person can do. You could share the gospel. Share the gospel from a personal point of view, from someone that knows it. Not just theoretical, but you've experienced it. Salvation of your soul. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's something only you can do. And yet sometimes Christians, and you know, I can, I can be among them as well, we can get sidetracked from doing that most important by responsibilities that anybody can do, saved or unsaved. And so the question is, am I reserving myself 
or concentrating on that which is of eternal value, or am I concerned with the mundane? You know, I personally think of, you know, what does that mean for a guy? Well, I have responsibilities at home to keep the household running. I have to be involved in fixing things. I just remember a couple of leaks I have. You can put those off, you know. I got this plastic tub under one of the leaks behind the toilet. My wife doesn't know about it yet, so it's, it's all right for a while, you know. <laughs> but that was good because I could prepare the message, you know. If I was sitting there wrenching on the bathroom, then it'd be a little bit harder. You've got to have priorities right, you know. Um, overtime, you know, sometimes, I, I think more often than not, overtime's um, an option, you know. How much time am I putting at work? Do I have to put in that much time? Well, if I'm not coming home and involved in something like the prayer meeting or, 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 or some other form of fishing for men, then I might say, yeah, why not? It's good money. You know? Or am I reserving and concentrating on things which are important? Um, and I, I have to look at this last year. And, you know, as an assembly, an individual, we've had some really neat things happen. I mean, we had um, baptism. We've had people saved. We've had visitors come through the doors. Um, I'm excited about what I'm seeing. We've had some pruning, but the Bible teaches us that pruning is so that we'll bear more fruit. That can happen in our lives personally. It can happen in the life of the church. And so it's exciting going into this new year what the Lord wants to do. There's all the potential. All the mechanisms are in place. The most important one is the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. The question is, how many people are manning the nets? How many people are casting the lines? How many people are cutting bait? Do we have a big crew that's fishing for men or individuals that are just have their little tackle box and they're going out somewhere to catch a fish, you know? Everybody needs to be involved if we're going to see a lot of blessing. And, and, and we need to be careful because if you're serious about it, there's going to be some sifting. It says in Luke chapter 22, 31 through 34, it says, Simon, Simon, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I just learned just recently that the you there is plural. He's saying it to Simon, but the you is plural like all the disciples. And we can think about that as well. If we're serious about the Lord, there's going to be some sifting. What is sifting? What is sifting? Well, sifting, everybody knows what a sieve is, right? especially the ladies in the kitchen. Um, you can pour, let's say there's something in your flour that, that's in there you don't want in there. You can pour the flour through a sieve, shake it around, and then, of course, what's undesirable stays in the sieve, right? And you can pluck it out. Um, same thing with sand in a sandblasting booth. You filter it out. You put it through a sieve or a filter, we call it. Um, Satan wants to do that for the purpose of accusation. You know, he, 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 God allows it for his purposes, Satan wants to use it for an accusation against us. And oftentimes circumstances the Lord allows in our life to show us what's really there. I can remember a time where I was put through a sieve as a new Christian, about a year old in the Lord. And I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Maybe somebody hasn't heard it. I was in Oakland watching a house for Fairhaven that was donated to them. And this was not in a good part of Oakland. And I wore a jacket on the back that said, Jesus, the only way. John 14, 6, and these big, bright, four-inch letters embroidered across my back. So I went down to the shortstop, and I was living on the floor in the house. It was all cleaned out because they got, got all their stuff out. And uh, 
And I was at the shortstop, and some guy came up to me, and he seemed to speak uh, uh, with an accent like he was from another country. He said he was from South Africa. And uh, he was going back to the country, but he had this money, and he pulled out this wad of money. I mean, it was like three inches in diameter, $100 bills. And he says, and, you know, his mother told him, don't come back with the, the money or they'll confiscate it. Leave it there with someone that you can trust that would use it for good. Somebody religious. Of course, I wasn't religious. I had this on my back. I mean, I was like a target, right? So then right about time he was trying to explain all this to me, and I'm thinking about And then this other guy comes up, and he starts listening, and he says, hey, let's get this guy's money, you know? And I'm thinking, no, this isn't right. I should call the cops, you know? Just for a moment, I thought, I should call the cops. And then all of a sudden, this other competing thought came into my mind. And this is the Lord sifting this, this out of me to show me what was there. And I, and I know this was the moment of turning in this whole experience was, no, but just imagine showing up with church with $10,000 and putting that in the offering. I mean, that's what I thought, right? I mean, what was I thinking? You know, that was be for my glory, right? And at that point, it's like the Lord darkened my understanding. And I said, well, this guy's trying to rip you off. I said, listen. He said, well, but he wanted, his mother told him, make sure that this person has money so they're not in need, so that they're not just trying to rip you off. So I took this guy to, my, to that house that I was living, and then I took him to the bank, and he got me to get like two or three, I think, I'm glad the max was like $200. I just got out $180, and I showed it to him. He says, okay, now what I want you to do is, he pulls it out, I want you to wrap it up around this, put a rubber band about it, and then back in your shirt like that. I said, okay, and then he pulls it back out, and then he puts it in my shirt, right? Well, there was the switch, and I didn't get it. I didn't perceive it. But I had taken, I was on my motorcycle, so I had this guy, took him into my house, the house where I was watching, I was on back, back in the motorcycle, and at the, at the moment, the other guy was following us in a car, I thought, I'm going to go to another, another bank, because we had arranged to go to this one bank. I could have got stabbed in the back, you know. But the Lord was protecting me, but at the same time, he was putting me through a sieve. Look at Eric, I want to show you what's in your heart. There's a desire for glory there that's not good. Because when you've been conned, that's, a, that's the only time in my life I've ever been conned. And it's a, like, it's a feeling like you're violated or something. It's like, whoa, that guy was in my house, you know? I was a sucker. Man, how stupid can I be, right? But, and I, and I, in my thoughts, I traced it back. When, why was I, how could that happen? And it was, that's what I figured out was right at that time where I had that thought for my own glory, you know? And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. So there's sifting that we need to go through that Satan does it for our accusation. He's accusing me, see, self-glory, good are you. Look what happens. But God was using it for my good to show me what needs to be cleansed out of my heart. So Peter went through a sifting that was a, little bit, a lot more painful. Um, Jesus said, along with that, he said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, there's the purpose for, of God in it. Not only that Peter learns something about his own weakness so he can rely on the strength of God, but that can, he can be compassionate and understanding with those that have those same weaknesses. And strengthen your brother. So God's got a purpose for good in it. So if I were to ask you this morning, this new year, would you like to go through a sifting? <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> well... Most likely you'd say, no thanks. <laughs> but what if God allows it for his good and your good? Though it be uncomfortable. How many people 
Um, I've got to be careful how I phrase this. How many people, having set out to exercise, found yourself very sore the next day? Okay. Was it good for you? Really, it was. Did it discourage you at the time? Maybe so. The next time you went in, it'd be really hard. The key is to take your steps smaller. You know, don't take such a big step. But that's hard to convince people when they're starting to exercise. Okay, so um, things that are good for us aren't always things that are comfortable, right? And for Peter, that was the case. He denied the Lord three times. Why did he, if you look back in Peter's life, where, where was that turning point? With me, it was that time where I was after glory for myself. With Peter, where was it? If you look back, you can find it. And it says that when the Lord Jesus was arrested, it said Peter followed at a distance. That's right. He was following the Lord at a distance. And, and, and you can see when a person follows the Lord at a distance, that's not a good thing. Because <laughs> he ended up denying the Lord. And that causes me to ask the question in my own life, and I hope that you can ask the question to yourself as well. Is there any way this last year as I look back, put my life under the microscope, guided by the Holy Spirit, that I have denied the Lord? Not in the same way Peter did but denied the Lord in the very principles that I claim to believe? Are there any failures on my part this last year that I don't want to repeat next year? The question I'm asking myself is, have I followed the Lord at a distance? Because following the Lord in salvation is one thing. But following the Lord in a daily manner is a question of how close am I following Him? And it will manifest itself in your life because like Peter, there'll be times where by your life, even though your words will confirm by your life, you'll deny. You'll deny. I, I say that my spiritual life is important. I say that the Lord calls me, says, uh, not to abandon the gathering together of ourselves, as is the habit of some, but I don't come to church on Sundays. Am I denying the Lord? Am I denying the very things that I say I believe, the Word of God? If I, in my prayer life, in my own personal prayer life, if I'm not praying regularly, am I denying the Lord? When I'm speaking to others and treating others, individuals, like an unsaved person would, no kindness, no love, impatient, am I denying the Lord? If I'm not reading the Word, regular intake of the Word, am I denying the Lord? I mean, these are things we claim to believe, how important the Word of God is, and yet I can neglect it. Do I say that I know the Lord, but does my life deny it? It gets sort of personal. It's taking that magnifying glass, and I'm not, I'm not putting anybody under that projector. I'll put myself under that so you can see my life, because I have failures, you know. Um, 
But there's a way out of those failures. By following the Lord closely. By being absorbed in what He has for your life. By not having anything you're going to hold back from Him. By being willing to undergo a little discomfort. Think of the Word of God. It says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. The Lord Jesus says, my yoke, take upon me your, my yoke, take my yoke, for it is gentle. It's easy. He's gentle. He gives us the light side of it. He takes the heavy load. But we can cringe even from that because of a desire for comfort. We can be distracted from what he's called us from. We could follow him at a distance. When I look backwards and I see items in my life that speak of denial, that speak of failure, those are the things I don't want to repeat. Those are the things I want to see changed in my life. Those are the things more important the Lord wants to see changed in my life. But for that to happen, I have to be resolute. That's a better word than resolution, isn't it? It sounds better. I have to be resolute, determined. I have to sit down and write down what those things are. And you know, I have to ask the Lord, help me, because I need your strength, because I'm weak. And he will. He will. So the question is, how do we want to go into the new year? Resolute for that which is good for us? Determined to break habits that are bad, that we've let creep into our lives? Or do we let another year pass where the end of that next year is going to be the same as the end of this year? We look back and we don't see anything different. We look back and we see the same failures, the same denials. How do you want this next year to be? We're at the threshold of this year. And what I like about this Lord's Day is it's right before it starts. It's not after it starts. Where I, you know, To me, it's like I'm, I'm the kind of guy where you know, I like this. Okay, it's right in front of me, the starting line. I don't want to say, oh, I'm already too late. It's behind me. It's right in front of us. And we have a whole day today, the Lord's Day, to contemplate, to think on that. And for many of us, tomorrow's a holiday, or some of us. We have tomorrow off too. And then Matt and Michael, they're going to have a prayer meeting at their house. What better way to usher in the new year than to be praying with the saints? But come already armed with a list, if nothing else, in your pocket or in your mind, these are the things I want to work on in my life. And they could be something as simple as, and, and, and this is one I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to pray regularly with my wife, consistently, because I'm finding in her a greater companion than I ever um, have seen before. You know, it's like every year keeps getting better, even though there are challenges. There are things I want, um, want to do with my, my kids, uh, I, I, I was working yesterday with Nathan all day long, and I, and I told him, I said, Nate, I, I can't tell you how much I, I really appreciate you working with me and spending time with me. And he said uh, this morning, Dad, you want me to help you today? <laughs> that makes a father feel good, you know? Um, faithful in coming to the meetings. I can, I can remember back when we were at B Street. There were the regulars that came to the prayer meeting. Everybody had his place, and you'd know where everybody sat. And when somebody walked in at the last minute, you'd pull out a chair because that's where they're going to sit, and they'd come right to that chair. And, then, of course, the shaking hands goes all around. Somehow, we've gotten away from that. And I understand um, pressing needs, 
I can remember being challenged as a new Christian to faithfulness to put the Lord's first, faithfulness to the meetings. And, and, and there was the example there. And as the years roll on, I'm glad, Howard, I can see a good example in you. I was thinking about you this morning and the last couple of weeks. You're still going strong. That's the kind of example that encourages me. Um, and I'm thinking, why can't it be like it was? Where everybody here is here on Wednesday. You know? Um, the Lord speaks of sacrifice. You know? Anybody who wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes it, 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 it's, we shouldn't really even use the word sacrifice, but coming to a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, that can't be compared to a cross if you ask me. You know, I can get up at 3.30 in the morning. I could stay late till midnight if I have to. I might be yawning a lot, and you guys that know me see that, but the Lord's worth it, isn't he? How hungry are you for your spiritual life to grow, for this body to grow? It doesn't come without sacrifice. And so I long for that in my life, and I hope you long for that in your life, and as an assembly, we long for that. You know, it, it, it's going to be some sifting there. But, you know... President Bush said it in a bad way. I want to say it in a good way, but I want to say bring it on. Because if the Lord's going to use it for good in our life and in our assembly, bring it on. I'm willing to suffer for it. I hope you are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we look back on this last year, we see uh, your faithfulness around every corner. Every turn of the road, you were there for us, Lord. And um, we thank you for that. Lord, we think of oftentimes our weakness. You've had to carry us. And Lord, uh, times that I've denied you, and you've had to scold me for it, and yet in love. Lord, and as we go into this new year, we pray, individually we pray as an assembly, that you would guide our thoughts today, tomorrow, to be resolute going into this new year. Lord, not relying on our own strength, but on your strength to accomplish in our lives and in our assembly that which you would have us to accomplish for your glory. We think of the lost souls around us and we feel impotent to help them, Lord, and it's because oftentimes we look through our eyes of our own strength, Lord, and not through your eyes. And so we pray that you'd give us a heart for the lost. And, Lord, that you would help us to find our gift, how we might support the fishing of men, even though we might not be the person on the line or the person cutting bait, there's, there's something for everyone to be involved in that souls might be one for you, Lord. And we're so grateful that you've given us the privilege to be co-laborers with you. So we pray that you'd help us to uh, be responsible, to be diligent, and to honor your privilege that you've granted us. We pray in your name. Amen.